On March 27, 1998, Viagra became the first oral treatment approved to treat erectile dysfunction in the United States. A decade later, the blue pill had annual sales peaking at $1.9 billion, with competitors Cialis and later Bluetooth competing for space in the marketplace. The fact is, erectile dysfunction has become a major source for ad revenue. From Pele to Bob Dole to PGA golf tournaments and podcast advertisements, the world has let you know that ED is nothing to be ashamed of, and more importantly, they are happy to sell you a fix. It seems ironic for that appeal so marketable, the six-piece Swedish band, the Viagra Boys, have firmly established themselves as unmarketable. They are a band laced with irony, intensity, and confrontation, and their debut album, Streetworms, exists somewhere between being a joke and being deadly serious. In 2018, Streetworms crawled into existence, and now, it is an art school album. Same worms that eat me will someday eat you too. The man I'm sitting across from has been vegan for nearly a year, and at 10 o'clock this morning, I watched him eat half of a rotisserie chicken from Whole Foods, and I haven't stopped thinking about it since, and he did that in the name of performance art, and now he's talking to me in the name of Art School Albums, the music podcast, and I am delighted to have him here, a fellow Hoosier and a fellow music aficionado. My guest today is Blaine McBroom. Hello. Thank you, Case. That was such a nice introduction. Well, I'm excited to have you here because I find you to be a bit of a fascinating human. I think you are someone that left an impression on me from day one since we've known each other, which we met like the first day of college. And I have seen you morph and shift and change into an entirely different human. And I think what we're going to talk about today is a lot of your own journey and personal change and then how this album that we are talking about today, the Viagra Boys Street Worms, how it relates to your journey a little bit. Mm. But I want to start off at the very beginning. Blaine, where did you grow up and what were some of the first bands you were into? Oh, man. Um, you're going to love and hate the way that I say this. I grew up um, just north of Indianapolis. In, in what city, perhaps? I grew up in a suburb called uh, Carmel. Uh, Carmel, Indiana, which has a reputation for um, one percenters, okay. yacht owners, okay, elitists, okay, yes, yes, that is the common perception. Um, but um, you know, uh, I've never been on a yacht. <laughs> I've been on someone else's yacht. No, I haven't been on someone else's yacht. I've been in someone else's like huge home, and it was always like this is intimidating. This is um, disgusting in its excess. Um, but yes, I grew up in Carmel, Indiana. Um, yeah, which I don't look at in the scope of Indiana, or I mean, it's uh, that town is not unique to that state. There's places like this all over, but I. It's not necessarily a town overflowing with artists. Um, it seems like most people from Carmel are going into Kelly finance. School yeah. of Business. The Kelly School of Business at Indiana <laughs> it is, University. It is overflowing with brainwashed um, business types. Um, but there are a lot of artists that come out of that area. I mean, people that I know who are very talented musicians, some of them go to Columbia with us. That is true. Um and one notable thing about like Carmel and its relations to the arts is um, uh, while the community is very type A, they did pass a referendum that um, like dramatically increased the funding in 
um, the arts district for arts in the city. Um, and also the arts programs at the school are um, uh, incredible. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, maybe Carmel's not entirely evil, uh, but it's certainly not. It my, It's not my favorite place, but if you're happy there, uh, congratulations. I mean, it is partially evil. I won't deny that. At the very it is least. definitely partially evil. It is evil. partially evil. Yeah. So what's your relationship like with, with music growing up? Were you someone that from a young age really cared about the music you listened to and, and liked very specific bands, or were you kind of just like, oh, whatever's on the radio is fine? Um... I, my music taste has been influenced by two major things, I would say. Um, one of them is the fact that I did a lot of choir and performed a lot of music um, that I was not choosing, but it was so much music that I was constantly having someone else tell me, like, you got to learn this song, we're working on this like choral piece um and so it was a lot of music that was chosen by um my choir director and then the the other side of it is um this is classic indiana but uh, my parents would like only listen to k-love okay which is a uh international christian popular music radio station i was going to ask if Christian music was ever a, a big component of your life because you grew up in the church. Your dad is a pastor, correct? Uh, yes. My dad was the creative pastor at a church for a short amount of time. He spent most of his life, um, he started a small business that did marketing and uh, branding and website development specifically for churches. And there was also a big element of like leadership and communication development. Um my dad was a theater minor, um, and he used a lot of those skills in terms of like staging things mm-hmm. and how a show should run to help churches understand how to better structure their service um, and the the worship in their yeah. um, services. So in high school, you're in choir. Yes. You're doing a lot of that. Is that music you're listening to in your free time of like, oh, I will listen to the Hamilton soundtrack where you kind of... <laughs> it wasn't that. all Hamilton. <laughs> I was actually very anti-Hamilton for as long as I could be. <laughs> Everybody was singing it. And so this is something about Carmel. Like, most of the people that I was in choir with had seen Hamilton multiple times. Yeah. yeah as yeah. soon as it was in Chicago. Um, and... Like I said, my dad owned a small business that worked with churches. So, like, we put all of our money into being able to live there because the schools were very good and the community was very good. Um, And so there were kind of two types of people there, and it was either um, they spent all their money being able to be there or they were there and they had more money than they could ever know to do with um it was kind of split between the east side and the west side of uh carmel my friends and i used to say that if you were biking and you got a flat tire on the east side then you walked your bike home but if you got a flat tire on the west side then you called a tow truck okay (laughs) um but back to music that is wholesome indiana humor at its finest oh yeah back to music all right back to corn (laughs) um but back to music i um, I didn't 
listen to a lot of music in my free time because I was spending multiple hours every day singing with other people and learning music. So I, I did so much music required. <laughs> I was required to learn so much music that in my free time, I was not listening to a lot of additional music. Yeah. And uh, personally, I'll admit, like, I didn't have a taste in music until I got to college. Yes. Yeah, so you show up in Chicago uh, at college and... I think it's safe to say, and you can stop me if you disagree, but you definitely had the the persona of like, oh yeah, this kid did choir and probably grew up in a church. Like the the Blaine I knew my freshman year of college was peppy and just had shook just hands with shook adults, hands like vigorously shook hands, and there was just a real like, I'm happy to be here, but also there was this like, I remember because we both do a lot of, or at least attempt to do a lot of comedy in Chicago. And Mm -hmm. there was like a thing of like, oh, you go here, like you move to Chicago and you need to go see all these shows. Like you need to try to be involved in the community in some way, shape or form. And I felt like my freshman year, especially first semester, like I went to a lot of shows and every single show I was at, you would be there and you'd be like, oh, it's my second show of the night. I'm just like, I'm going to three shows tonight. And there was... There's almost just robotic characteristic of you that, like, you never stop, but it feels like you're an entirely different person now. I mean, what has your journey been over the past three years? I was definitely going to a lot of shows when I first got here because um, I knew that I wanted to do comedy and I had lightly been exposed to the comedy that was here and... When I arrived, I was very unapologetic in, like, my networking, um, which I think as I've been here and I've, like, seen more of the inside of how it works, that won't really get you as far as it would in a different field. Mm -hmm. Um, So the networking that I was doing was with people who were already on Herald teams and in shows and and I was like just a kid who was just starting in school. I very clearly was coming from outside of the city and was not really apt to the culture and the environment of Chicago comedy. And so as I got more exposed to it, I realized like there's a different track for it and you have to work at it on your own and, and find your own creative process with it. Um, other things that have sort of changed me, um, I grew up with a good amount of structure and I was very comfortable following the rules that my parents set. I, I was the youngest in my family and I definitely had more freedom than my sisters. But I also understood why my parents had the rules that they did. Um, And anytime I would like kind of go against their way of life, I would bring it up with them and it would be like a discussion. Um, Like I, I smoked weed for the first time when I was in high school and I told my parents about it a couple weeks later. Uh, Good move. I was like, this is something that I did. I don't feel 
and I, I was comfortable telling them because I knew that it's not like they were going to be angry or disappointed. Um, so I wasn't scared to let them know. Um, but when I got to college, I had more freedom. And I think, you know, part of life is about exploring what life or what about life is different from where you came. If that yeah. makes sense. Well, and I just, sort of a try anything once kind of practice to to further my perspective and get a better sense of what is in the world. Because if you're doing comedy or you're doing art in any sense, you have to you have to broaden your horizons and you have to widen your eyes as much as you can to to experience everything that is out there so that you have an understanding of the factors that affect the way people live their lives. Yeah, that's something that I I like about you just in general, whether we're approaching very like typical subjects that are kind of more fact-based or if we're approaching things from an artistic standpoint, I do think you have a great quality of being able to come at things from multiple perspectives and you have a very... I think broad sense of purpose and are, are able to kind of place yourselves into different roles when applicable. And I enjoy that, but I know maybe that hasn't always been the easiest for you because I know like at this time a year ago, we would sit down and have lunch with a group of friends and you'd be like, guys, I, I think I'm going to move to the woods. I think I'm just going to yeah. go. Yeah. And it was, I, we, this is when we started saying like, the change in Blaine that kind of fascinated our friend group mm-hmm. because it was such a 180 from like the kid that would shake everybody's hand, the kid that was going to improv show after improv show when he was he was trying out for this and he was working hard and he was going to do this and you know he would do double the homework just because he loved it so much and then it felt like there was just a colossal personality shift that wasn't for better or worse. It was just so different and it seemed to involve running away and living in the woods, but. It, was that a big like in terms of the music you listed you started listening to was that kind of the shift is when you felt that personality change I don't know how the music played into it or if it was a factor I think some people every everybody talks about getting a taste of freedom and I think I took a big old bite out of freedom. Yes, very much so. Without losing who I was, like going into it with the intention of like, I want to experience what there is to experience and I'm not going to let it um, diminish where I've come from or how I was raised. It's not a spiteful sort of exploration. It's a almost like a research um that I was trying to do but uh I took a big old bite out of freedom and um I think I got really overwhelmed by the stakes of trying to be an artist and living in a big city it was a big shift for me and I was sort of convinced that um it was gonna take so long for me to live the kind of life that I had imagined for myself that rather than going through school and entering the like unemployed comedy workplace 
rather than doing all that, it was like, I'll just drop out and I'll, I'll do something crazy and I'll get to start living this adventurous life now. My, my plan was to drop out and start biking across the country and I would like blog and do photography along the way and notorious money-making projects as well blogging oh, and yeah. photography blogging and <laughs> photography well and a key element of it was my plan wasn't to do it and ask for money uh-huh. it wasn't going to be like buy my painting or uh, i can't paint it wasn't going to be like buy, <laughs> oh, i can't paint i'm, I can't paint. I'm an idiot <laughs> idiot stupid stupid no it wasn't going to be like buy this painting for hundreds of dollars so that I can like explore. It was going to be like, Hey, I took these photos and you can, uh, have them as prints. If you send me a box of cliff bars, because I am in Vermont and I am trying to keep biking and I really need some cliff bars right now. Like, um, but I was, I was like content to, well, I, I, in the pursuit of that adventure, I would have been content with just trying to survive and seeing what kind of um, following or or more so like life experience I could accumulate along the way so that the person that I became by the end of that theoretical uh, adventure would be someone who got more out of that than what I could have gotten from school or what I was getting from being in Chicago. Yeah. But most of it came from a place of fear and anxiety. You pushed through and I'm glad that you are, are still here in the obscure world of comedy, uh, college comedy in Chicago, a very small yet lucrative bubble. Um, (laughs) Oh yeah. Things are going well. We're just rolling in it. (laughs) Have you heard the other 13 podcasts that came out this hour? They're all produced by struggling comedians. So you're here now, and and I just, I like the uh, character arc that I've seen from you as a human, where I've seen you develop and change, and you now have... I think a strong sense of self and, and maybe you don't and maybe you're just fooling me, but you seem like a confident, strong individual that is aware of the choices that you're making when you make them. And I just like seeing that. Um, and I think you're very similar to the band that we're about to discuss, the Viagra Boys, where uh, there has clearly been, if not trauma, then at least some sort of tension that has led them to a point. And they persevered past that, and now they are making art in a very unique and specific vision, and I'm all about it. But before we get to the Viagra Boys, I want to know what else you're listening to right now. What bands are are sparking your interest? Um, I dove into a handful of the best albums of 2019, um, but I wasn't thrilled with any of the bands that I was listening to. Um, I thought all of the chart toppers were doing like groundbreaking stuff and changing the way that we think about an album, um, changing the way that we think about music and, and the, the sonic production of, of all of it was so different. Artists like FK Twigs um, and I don't want to make it sound like it just like 
that kind of music wasn't my cup of tea. Yeah. Like that's not the case at all. I have a lot of respect for that music. Um, it's just not what I listen to on the train. Yeah, for sure. What's um, your train music? My train music is well. Recently, I've been listening to a lot of Phoebe Bridges. Yes. My favorite album from 2019, shockingly, was a country album. Okay. Which is a genre that I generally have some disdain for. But um, your family did move to Nashville. My family did move to Nashville. So you are now indoctrinated in the country music lifestyle. Right. Um, the Mecca. Yeah, <laughs> I guess I have that in, in me now. Um, gosh. What happened? What a long, strange trip it's been. Golly. You ended up a country music fan. Not at all. I just like the High Women. It's okay. just, it was one album that was really, really good. I almost thought about doing that album for this um, podcast. But instead, we landed on the Viagra Boys, and I'm glad we did. Because they're, this a, is... they're a longtime favorite of mine. I should, I never really answered your question, so you may want to put this in earlier. Okay. When I was in high school, I had a handful of CDs in my car. Yes. Um, and I knew the words to like all those CDs. Um, and the reason it was CDs is because I drove a Honda Santa Fe. Hyundai. Hyundai Santa Fe. Hyundai like Sunday. Um, and it was too old to have an aux cord. Yeah. But the car was too new to have a tape deck. <laughs> so there was no way for me to play music off my phone unless I used one of those shitty radio things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And those are shitty. So I got a bunch of CDs. Most of them I got at Goodwill. Um, so I have, I had like a handful of greatest hits albums. Of course. <laughs> um, including, this is going to hurt you, Casey. No, go this. ahead. Um, The Killers. That's fine. Kings of Leon. I weirdly had somebody text me about Kings of Leon this afternoon. Not one of my bands, but I think they're harmless. I think I had a Foo Fighters album. I like the Foo. It's hard not to. Yeah, it's hard not to. Um, I got one of the Weezer albums at, I think I got Blue. Okay. At Goodwill. Um, I had a Fish album. Yeah, see, that's where we go wrong. Well, I just played Farmhouse. <laughs> I just liked Farmhouse. Okay. Um, I had an Aerosmith album. Nah, see, that's no good. No good. Ugh, God, yeah, the worst. I guess. Yeah. Um, so that was like the music I listened to. Growing up, I didn't buy a lot of music on iTunes, and I still don't, like, I don't do online shopping now. I don't know why, I just, I don't like it. Um, okay, I was going to ask if that was for ethical reasons or you just, you're not a fan. No, I just, it, I feel a little uneasy about it. And I think also some of it is I'm pretty impulsive in my purchases, um, in a number of ways, but in the greatest sense, it's if I'm going to buy something, I want to pick it up and leave with it and own it. Okay. Yeah. Fair Rather enough. Rather than like, I'm going to order it and then I'm going to wait and then it's going to show up anyway. Didn't buy a lot of songs off iTunes. My parents were too religious, so we didn't... I shouldn't say it like that. My family had strong values against uh, piracy. <laughs> <laughs> so I didn't use... Um, uh, what am I... What LimeWire? LimeWire or the I, other one. I can't think of the other one. The other one's like the bigger one. Anyway. Yes. I, I know LimeWire. I didn't listen to music illegally. I didn't buy a lot of songs on iTunes. Um, so I listened to a lot of music on Pandora. That You give off weird like Pandora playlist vibes now yeah. that you say it. Yeah. Yeah. And 
the only time that I can remember using Pandora, I couldn't tell you the year, but I can tell you it was Owl City time, baby. 2011, Fireflies. Fireflies. Um, yeah, so I mostly used Pandora to listen to music when I was a kid. I also used Pandora to listen to a lot of stand-up when I was a kid. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. So... Which is a horrible way to listen to (laughs) stand-up. You don't get... You you can't listen through one special. I would just get, like, the weird tracks that would start kind of halfway in a bit, and there would be a handful of callbacks that I never understood. (laughs) So you grew up religious in Carmel, Indiana... As a well-disciplined and well-mannered, albeit uh, curious human, and it ultimately led you to this point with the Viagra Boys. Yes. A band that you have been discussing constantly. I went over to your apartment a few months ago. It was the first time I had seen you in a minute. Mm-hmm. And you're like, Case, Case, you got to check you out gotta this check band, them out. the Viagra Boys. And then you, pulled the, you paused your Call of Duty game. You pulled them up on your TV. And we heard a song that we'll hear in just a little bit, Sports, and it was, I, I don't want to dissect that song just yet, but mm-hmm. the the band was so drastically different than a lot of what I've heard. Their mm-hmm. look was certainly out there. What attracted you to this band? I think it's really simple. They're funny. Yeah. They're funny. They're a, they're a serious band and their music is really good. Um, they're a, I think they're a six piece band. That is true. That is true. Um, and I really like that kind of, um, simple style of music. That's like a guitarist, a bass player, a drummer, and a singer. Absolutely. I like, I like a four piece band because you can hear all the different parts going on. And if there's anything inorganic that comes into the song, then you can really pick up on those details. Um, other music that I, I know I'm going kind of no, out go of order. Other music that I'm interested in now, um, uh, Astro Samurai is one of my favorite groups. They're a Chicago group, um, and the music that they're making is very interesting. It's a lot of, um, it's very complex sounds with heavy jazz influence. Um, kind of that like nice wave that made its way into indie of like, well, the, the jazz influence that's made its way into indie and, and made for some like garage rock that is very technically impressive. Yeah. Um, that's the kind of music I really like listening to. I like Kate Davis as well. Yes. You put me on to Kate Davis a few months ago. Really enjoyed it. I love Kate Davis. Um, I also have a pretty good... I have I have pretty strong knowledge about early hip hop um, from Netflix's hip hop evolution. evolution. Uh, just a wonderful program that continues because, because real quick sidebar on hip hop yeah, evolution. Yeah. I've heard the stories of how hip hop started and East Coast versus West Coast, and here's what Run DMC did that changed the game. I've heard those stories a million times, but hip hop evolution has continued its evolution and the most recent season on Netflix dives into southern hip hop and the Master P influence and what Birdman and Manny Fresh did and those are stories that I know but have not necessarily seen documented and constructed mm-hmm. in a very professional way and I I love this series and I love what they're doing yeah. and I would like to see it done for more genre so you know early yeah. hip hop through hip hop evolution yes um in the period of time before i cut my hair off and i was uh i was like 
art scum. I, I was writing so much stupid poetry. I forgot you had a very uh, noticeable hip hop phase. I completely forgot yeah. that this was a thing. So there was there was the hip hop phase, and I was really interested in the writing and the lyrics because I was really interested in poetry. And at that time, I got into like some slam poetry and. I was listening to slam poets and I went to a poetry slam and um, like spoken word was really appealing to yes. me at that time. And you would come into class and go, Case, I've been listening to some hip hop lately. This <laughs> stuff's really good. Yeah, it was. Um, so like it, I was so impressed by artists like MF Doom, obviously. 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 Because um, his lyrics are so complex and poetic. And I was also really impressed with um, the storytelling of early hip hop and um, the way that early hip hop like created a I can't believe this is two white guys on a podcast no, talking about it's become early hip hop almost every episode so yeah. go ahead um, I, I love the way that it was not only did they create a genre of music for themselves but then they used that art form that new art form to tell a story that that people weren't listening to yeah for sure yeah i think in a weird way the viagra boys have a similar vibe where they are creating stuff that is uniquely their own yes they have a sound that is unique to them let's hear the opening track off of street worms an album released in 2018 nine songs 36 minutes and this is the opener this is down in the basement opener this is from what i had heard and again we'll kind of backtrack when we hear track three which is sports but this is not necessarily what i was anticipating it is a song that reminds me a lot of nine inch nails bite the hand that feeds which if you know me uh typically when i compare things to nine inch nails it is not a compliment Uh i think i think nine inch nails i think they're one of the worst bands of all time i can't stand them I think 99% of their songs are awful, but the song that I just compared down in the basement to is the one Nine Inch Nails song that I really like. Nice. So it's nice to have like a a different yet familiar uh, sound to this opener. What are your thoughts on Down in the Basement? I think it's a good song. I think it introduces the album well. You get a good sense of like their noise. It is very noisy, like you said. Um I'll have to take a look at the lyrics to understand the story of it better, but I like um, that you get a good sense of his cadence and his voice. Um, it's very, like, it's not breathy, but the way that he's singing is, like, as much out as it is in. Um, 
and he's kind of like 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 yes doing a little bit of that yeah there's like a, a horsiness to it um, <laughs> yeah you know he's he's like floppy cheek singing of i don't course. know if that no i'll, I'll floppy cheeks <laughs> i hope is there's a... no euphemism or double meaning there <laughs> well it is a song that is more or less exposing the creepy fetishes that we as humans have and certain people having certain fetishes exposed in sort of a public setting and it's a very interesting start for an album that is very much mirror to society um and just reflecting on even if it's not a sexual perversion some of the perversions that are ingrained in our culture at this point Mm -hmm. and they do a very good job of that in this opener and it's a real uh table setter for what's to come so i'm a huge fan of this song viagra boys in a way um like uh i don't want to say shines a light but i think of like the swinging light in a horror movie Mm -hmm. and they kind of like punch it into the direction that they want (laughs) and it's not like it's not shining a light on any injustice it's taking you into the basement and turning on the that dingy light bulb and saying like look at look at these concrete floors and and like look at the basement of um like suburban living yeah and the the they're like exposing the illusion of togetherness um and of like a perfect sort of like family and a perfect suburban reality that that doesn't exist and um what i i like about i like this track because that it introduces that element of them and that's a big part of what they do is is they like they kind of challenge um those it almost seems like they're challenging everyday things whereas if you look at like their spotify page and you look at the related artists the top one that comes up is idols which is a band we talked about a little bit ago on this podcast with their album joys and active resistance and idols tackles like these global atrocities in a very similar way but they're talking about immigration and violence and rampant sexism and in a different tone, the Viagra Boys are doing the same thing, but they're doing it with everyday, not benign issues, but more just things that I think most people would rather sweep under the rug. Yes. And they are, a, like you said, they're shining light or they're yanking that rug out from underneath Unlike these people. the casual monstrosities. Yes. Yes. Let's go to track two. This is Slow Learner. I love this track. It is a song that Blaine sang the entire way home on Chicago's Brown Line today, which was a bold move. (laughs) It is a very interesting song. Blaine, what do you like about Slow Learner? I love this song because um, 
I think we've all sat in class with sort of the like they use the term slow learner it's not like the kid isn't smart it's just like he he's relaxed he he um uh, he was in high school till he was 22 until they told him you need something else to do. He packed his school books and moved to the street, and now he sits there. Slow learner is happy. Slow learner is happy. Uh, lots of lyrics about him sitting in the back of the class, not really trying hard. Yeah. It's something, it feels very out of date in this current society, especially in an election year where young people are very opinionated about the way this country goes and Mm -hmm. specifically who is leading it that a song like this I I found to be very funny because just the idea of the slacker and the kid that's just like ah it's what like whatever like whatever feels very out of fashion right now and weirdly I think 21 Jump Street, the movie with Channing Tatum and Jonah Hill, did a really good job of painting this picture and this was a movie that was released six or seven years ago Uh now but in one of the opening scenes when uh, Channing Tatum and Jonah Hill are walking into the high school for the first time, like they bump into the popular kids and they don't understand why the popular kids are caring about the environment or studying. Mm, yeah. And it's just like, oh, there was this shift that happened somewhere along the way where like caring became really cool. Yeah. And this is a song about people that are just like, I think now, especially just kind of left in the dust like yeah. you you need to be proactive in a sense to be cared about i i uh i want i in a way i relate to the slow learner but i know that he's not me because um i'm not cool enough to be the slow learner yes um like i was cheating on the tests <laughs> and the slow learner was just like circling C for every answer, (laughs) you know, um, and hoping that that was the grade he was going to get. Um, I would not have gotten through high school without cheating. Oh, I cheated on everything. Yeah, no, I kind of like almost like we're doing well now because we cheated. We cheated Because, because we figured out how to cheat. Right. Because there's too much work to do in high school. I'm not going to know. I'm too dumb to know science stuff. Right. I need to cheat. Um, and like... Yeah, so I cheated, but I got good grades. But slow learner, like, he walks into class when he wants to. And he is unapologetic about it. Oh, yeah. And the teacher's like, let me see you after class. And he's like, uh, yeah, what are you going to tell me? I don't care. And um, I can't relate to him because he's cooler than I am. Um, but I, ha- I have respect for slow learner, and I... I really like that song. Baseball. Basketball. Wiener dog. Shorts, shorts. Cigarette. Surfboard. Ping pong. Rugby ball. Wiener dog. Skiing. Down on the
Sports is my favorite song on the album. It's my favorite song by Viagra Boys. It might be my favorite song of all time. I play this song for as many people as I can. I think it's brilliant. I think it's stupid. I think it's fun. Um, so what uh, what do you like about it? It challenges class and masculinity in such a, like... An aggressive, laid-back way. I don't. I don't know. I mean, that obviously doesn't make sense. No, I mean it's um, it's like the slow learner is coming awake, and you realize that this dumb kid in the back of the class is is doing some great metaphor somehow. Yeah, by just saying, baseball, basketball, hot dog, skiing on the beach. Like, <laughs> I don't. Got him. I don't care about this shit, and it means so much to this entire country. So since you bring that up, we did play pickup basketball. You last are weekend. an avid sports fan. <laughs> well, I'm an avid sports fan, but worse than that, I'm a competitor, yeah. and an avid competitor. And I, I everything I do, I am comparing to uh, whatever somebody just did and whatever somebody is about to do. Mm-hmm. And you, you were aware of that side of me just because we're performing in similar spaces mm-hmm. and are pursuing a lot of the same artistic endeavors. But there's enough distance there to where I can kind of control that but there's something very now and very personal about sports to me and we play pickup basketball and I had a good time and I think I hindered your good time because I was taking things so seriously you play pickup basketball the way that I play poker which is just I need everyone to know the rules yeah, and shut I, up when I they're not supposed po- to I heard about be poker playing. Blaine recently where yeah. someone was like yeah no we went over to uh, to a friend's house to play poker and Blaine like we thought we were just gonna like hang out and just like throw some chips down on the table and Blaine took things really seriously I think it's weird. I I don't I don't know how to get into that evening of me playing poker. <laughs> but back to the song. <laughs> um I think uh something that makes this song really relevant or something that I think of especially relating it to current events is um the Chiefs winning the Super Bowl. Okay. Um the Chiefs have a they're a team with a racist mascot and a racist name and a lot of the fans for the Chiefs will paint their faces and um, appropriate Native American culture and if you confront them about the racism in their sports team you're gonna get a yell in the face that smells like beer um and like it's you know it's like I don't know I I just think of I think of those sports fans um who take being a fan there's no shame in taking it seriously but I I'm no, I, I find the words. For I, it. I see the point you're making, and I think that's exactly what they're doing. Is th- th- that guy that is watching Thursday night football? He's preparing for 
college football on Friday. He's watching college football on Friday while preparing for his fantasy football team on Sunday. He spends mm-hmm. all Sunday watching football. On Monday, he's watching Monday Night Football. On Tuesday, he's reacting to Monday Night Football. On Wednesday, he's preparing for Thursday Night Football. That kind of person, um, although I understand it and to a certain extent play into that, um, if you don't, if you aren't self-aware, mm-hmm. I see... Like, I will make fun of that person, too. Like, I'm not someone that is ever going to paint their face for a sporting event, even if I love my teams the way I do. Well, and I don't think it's... It's not necessarily about loving the team. It's about defending the NFL. Okay. You know? Like, if... It's the people who think Colin Kaepernick is a bad guy. Yeah. And um, they are just, like blindly in support of a major organization that doesn't really care about them. Um, They are the ones who can't articulate why they're angry and all they can yell is sports. (laughs) Does that make sense? It absolutely does. It also relates to me as like I see myself in those sporting events. I have no real stake in the game. But when I'm there, I like to yell. I like to yell in support of the team. Yeah. And I like to feel the energy of the crowd. But that energy is very aggressive and hyper-masculine. And that's a big part of what Viagra Boys likes to do is challenge that aggression that kind of... You don't know where it comes from. You don't know where it's directed but it's coming out at a sporting event. Yeah, well, they get lost in the culture, they get lost in the moment, and they get so hyper-fixated on one thing that they lose maybe their perspective on the rest of the world, which I think what we hear in track four, which is not as much of a song as it is uh, almost like a skit that you would find on a hip-hop album. I love that element of about... about I love that element about the track, and I'm so glad that you brought it up, that it, it is in a lot of ways like uh, a skip skit on a hip-hop album it also reminds me of like a uh transatlantic radio show um and like a horse race all at the same time um you know they, let's, they, yes they, let's they, hear it first yeah, yeah, and yeah, then yeah, we'll yeah. break it down sure six dogs compete for the best of show title in the 49th annual texas dangle brangle club show of the finalists, five are owned by aliens. The dogs are chosen as winners in the show six different divisions. We've got hounds, we've got working dogs, we got terrier dogs, we got toy dogs, we got toy terriers, we got sporting dogs, we got bananas, we got mangoes, we got kiwi fruits. The show is held at the fair's agricultural building down in the agricultural district of the agriculture. I really like this track. I think it challenges um a lot about class and or classism and society and the way that um, people get so invested in something that is um, objectively kind of strange. Um, this track specifically is talking about dog competition, um, which is such an absurd world world it's like it's like uh child pageants it's yes. something i will never understand yes but i'm also but things that people people pour their life savings yes. into the their dogs that compete for as much of a, a 
time investment as it is, it's a bigger financial burden, yes. which blows my mind. Yeah, people will go way into debt f- for dog shows, um, and some things that the track does to comment on that, um, the things that they're saying are objectively strange, and the track itself has a lot of distortion, and there's like chaos in the sound of it, which I think if you were an alien looking at a dog show, it would be, it would be just as nonsensical, just as madcap, um, as the track is. Yeah, it is. I, I will always respect a good album skit when I hear, but it's not necessarily something that does a ton for me. Whereas track five, just like you, uh, really hits my sweet spot. Let's hear that now. It was all a dream. But it was so nice I had a nice house And such a loving wife We had a little dog Such a little dog But it reminded me of a large dog Just a miniature size And I saw a lie So, like I said, I heard about this band through you and through the song Sports, and I was very down to do this episode because I think they're a band that maybe doesn't necessarily have a ton of cachet within, like, our bubble. Like, I, I know you listen to them, but I don't, like, have a Rolodex of Viagra Boys fans, but I was like, this sounds unique enough. Um, they're within a range of popularity that I'm comfortable with exploring. Like, let's do this album. But the only thing I knew going into it was sports, and I wasn't necessarily thrilled about doing an album of songs that sounded entirely like that because Mm -hmm. I was expecting nine or ten different versions of sports and then I hear the opener I'm like oh this is kind of different and then the song after that is is upbeat and noisy I'm like oh this is nice and then we obviously hear sports and then a skit and then we go into this which I was just delighted by this because uh, Viagra Boys could be described as post-punk that is the label that is often tagged uh, with them on websites when you're looking them up and this feels not all that different to me than a Susie and the Banshees type of song but the great thing about the Viagra Boys is they've taken this concept of irony and they've contextualized it into modern society so they have this almost new wave post-punk sound that I I very like a lot of my favorite bands are in this realm and they haven't necessarily updated the sound a ton but the lyricism and the message feels very modern and very evolved and I think part of that is just the way we look at irony now where I don't know if you know the song Shiny Happy People by R.E.M. uh, but it was a, a song that was like R.E.M. was this very respected band by critics and they were starting to gain commercial success but like they were like a band that did everything they did was critically acclaimed and then they put out this song Shiny Happy People that was like 
look, we're going to make the dumbest pop song possible and you people are going to love it. And it was very much like, look at me and flashy. And the music video was very bright and, and childish and silly. And I think that was a fitting version of irony in 1991. But if you like the Viagra boys are almost sly about it. Like there's a subtlety to their irony that I think is very evolved and very modern. And you hear it throughout the album. And I think this is kind of the perfect blend of this again, almost new wave sound that they have going on, but very much contextualized into uh, the 21st century. So I love this song. Where where do you stand on Just Like Yo? I think it's a great song. I think it fits in a really good place in the album. For sure. Um, especially coming after that skit, it, you know, they're touching on a lot of points in a rather abstract way up until this point. And then this song really digs into the... Um, Th- that way of like shining a light on facade um, and shining a light on like conventional um, suburban lifestyle. Yeah. And I think it continues as the album progresses. I think this next track is another one that you could say that for. Track six is Shrimp Shack. I put a towel in a bag with formaldehyde. I put that shit. Up to my mouth and get really high. Don't give a fuck about these people following me down the street. Everybody want a part of my life, can't you see? Track six uh, is an interesting one. I It wasn't something that I loved the first few times I listened to this, and I listened to this album probably four or five times all the way through, and the first two times it wasn't connecting with me for whatever reason. I do think, and I compared them to Nine Inch Nails earlier, I've compared some of their instrumentation to these new wave bands. I don't know why, because I think they're a band that has such a unique sound, but when I was listening to this album, I thought of those bands and then... Uh, there was a song popular by a band, Not a Surf, which I was just like, God, this all like, this all kind of gives me popular vibes, which I don't know that band super well, but I love that song. Mm-hmm. And a lot of it was reminding me of of that track of just like uh, very simple, almost spoken word vocals, but it's done purposefully. And there's just an element of like edge to it that I really like. And the more I listen to this song, the more I enjoy it. So we really hit a good run here uh, with Just Like You, Shrimp Shack, and then what we'll talk about in just a second, Frog Strap, of songs I really enjoy. But before we get to that, your thoughts on Shrimp Shack. Um, I like Shrimp Shack. <laughs> Jeez. Shrimp Shack. There you go. A lot. Uh, I think musically it's really interesting. You start getting more melody from the instrumentation um the drums are really nice on this track it's a record that sounds very good yeah like these guys know what they're doing with their instruments it's produced well it's mixed well the balance is nice yes i feel like a lot of musicians that are making this kind of music you get way too much of some instruments and the sounds are just so aggressive so often um but i feel like the music in that song is is really nice i also think what's cool about this song is like i like to imagine that this is track two grown up 
Like this is okay. this is slow learner a little later in his life, and he's still kind of on that same wave of like, I'm I'm in this world and I don't know what my part in is in it, but I am gonna do what I want and that's gonna satisfy me and make me happy. Well, I'm aware of your secret when you showed up on the scene. I can tell they sense something paranormal. Show disbelief That there could be an amphibian While listening on your plan How did it slip by undetected There's nothing that gets by a man Unless it was an endothermic being And it could be through its skin But how the hell could a tetrapod Be able to blend in So like I said, we hit a trio of songs here that I really like. This is Frog Strap. It is a song that I don't necessarily understand at all. Yeah. But I also chalk that up to maybe I'm just not in tune with nature and that's why I don't understand it. Sure. I like this track. I think it um, definitely the vocals have a very different tone and sound to them than a lot of the other tracks, which I appreciate that kind of change. Um, There's a certain aggression to this that, yeah. like, I do think they have this, like, slacker vibe and almost, like, there's a, a, a distance that they maintain for most of this record. Mm-hmm. This one is a little more in your face. Yeah. It's, it's, there's a confrontational element to it that I think, although most of this record is songs calling out people or calling out cultures or calling out things, mm-hmm. um, they're almost doing it in passing. It's like they're driving by giving you the finger. Yeah. This, they are more in your face. In your and face. What they're talking about, I do not know. Well, I think part of the reason that we have a harder time understanding what this track is about is they like to be very uh, pointed and particular in the way that they criticize something whether it's with that like laid back kind of uh lyricism or if it's more ironic like sports i think maybe they really are trying to say something with this song um and that's why it's more aggressive is because if they're gonna call out something more specific um or if sorry not if they're gonna call something out more specific if they're gonna really show their anger about something. They're smart and they put more distance in it. And it's harder to understand what it is and I think that helps them preserve their um their kind of mantra as a group of like providing a good amount of distance between what they're criticizing and how they're criticizing it. I also think this track is great because um, it's smart. Sure. <laughs> like they're using big words that <laughs> they're using really big words and, and boy, I do like I it. like it. Um, no, but they're like, they're, they're kind of flexing a muscle in that. They're like, they're using very specific words that are about amphibians. I don't know a lot of songs that can use the word amphibian or tetrapod mm-hmm. and keep my attention. <laughs> <laughs> there is a terrifying element. At least these people scare me of like, 
oh, they are the smartest people and they're the ones that like sit in the back of the room and don't care. Like they yeah. don't apply themselves and they're still smarter than everybody else. Those people terrify me. Yeah. And I think that's a big part of like who Viagra Boys yeah. is. Is like we're going to sit in the back and we're not going to say anything. And let, you guys can like, try to figure if we're this gonna, out. If we're going to say something, you're going to think that we're trolling you. And then if you press us on why we're trolling you, we're going to say some shit that's going to rip you apart. I I agree. I think track eight, Worms, is a song that rips me apart in a good way. Because I, I love, love this, song. this song. I love it. Let's hear it now. I had a dream. I was under the ground. My friends and family were buried all around. Worm took a bite of me And then he washed me down With a bite of you The same worms that eat me Will someday eat you too So this is track eight. This is Worms. You mentioned earlier that you had one country album that you liked and as I was listening to this I was going, this is... This is almost a country song. This almost almost, almost it works almost as is country. What a what a twist. And a welcome one at that. Oh yeah. It's it's put in a great place, especially after Frogstrap. You're like, okay, I've heard a lot of of like what you're angry and why you're angry about. And this is such a shift um tonally and also like it's it's more about mortality and like existence than it is about society and issues. Um, I love, I love how calmed down the instruments are. Um, I like that. I don't know if it's brushes on the snare, but what a, what a dynamic change. Of course. Um, and then, the lyrics are very humanizing coming from a, a group and coming at a place on the album where you're wondering if these guys are from another planet. Like It's just, it's so drastically different than even something like sports, which is very uh, uh, mellow in a weird way and like soft spoken to an extent. But this is just on another plane of that. I think I think the song is excellent. I love, and this is not necessarily a new opinion for me, but I've said in the past on prior episodes, like I want singers that have uh, character to them. I yeah. want their voice to have a personality, whereas like a singer that might win a talent show or a choir, mm-hmm. like that does not move me. I have yeah. no interest in that. This is something where. Uh, you can show this to a vocal coach and they'll pick it apart and go, well, this is wrong and he should have done this and this and this. I don't care because there is a feeling to this. There's emotion Mm -hmm. and there's a a personality behind it. And I am very much driven to this song. I don't know if it's my favorite song on the album, but it's the one that has stuck with me more than any of them. It's very human. It's very honest. It's, um, it's existential. It gets you thinking in a different way. If you played down in the basement and then told me that there was a song on this album that I would want to listen to after a breakup, I'd be like, there's no way. And then you play Worms. And it's like, 
gosh darn, the same worms that eat you are going to eat me. It's uh, poetic in a sense, this last track on... It's poetic. It's also like, it still has... Sorry to... No, no. I mean, I was in the middle of a transition, but go ahead, Blake. I love love that it is poetic and that it is grimy. Yeah. It is still Viagra Boys. It is still like grime and worms and like, I don't know. They say wriggle. In that song, wriggle or wiggle? I think uh, either one. Yes, grimy. Yes, yes, and to that. Yes, and to that. And then we end. It's evocative. <laughs> we end with an instrumental, which we'll hear just a snippet of because it's instrumental, and at least in my mind, who the hell cares? Blaine, does this uh, does this song do anything for you? It doesn't do a lot for me. I like it. I like. I don't know. It's an odd instrumental track because it's it's not like you would ever have it on in the background. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> but, it's at the end of the album, so you're not gonna just hit it all like in the sure. middle. It's not really transitioning in anything except for the void. Uh, but yeah, that's how the record ends. That is nine songs, thirty six minutes. But Blaine wanted specifically to hear a song off of the deluxe edition of the record. So this is Beijing Taxi off of the deluxe edition of Street Worms by Viagra Boys. The morning it happened, I was in my bed. The sun shone on my face, my skin was red, my mouth was dry, just like a napkin. My bed was wet from the night before. Blaine, Beijing Taxi, what draws you to this song? Um, it's good. Yes. Well, actually, what I was going to say is it's, in a lot of ways, not good. Okay, <laughs> like, okay. all right, so never mind. The, the singing in it is objectively kind of bad. He's not on key, and he knows it, but uh, anyway. But they um, don't care, because they're sitting in the back of the classroom, man. What I like about this song is that the progression is satisfying, especially when it switches into the chorus. It, like, it has a, a very, like, like a military ballad. So, I don't know if I've ever heard a military ballad, I but, like the concept of it, though. Yeah, me too, I guess. Um... <laughs> It's weird. I like the imagery in it for sure when he talks about the toaster. Also, some of these lines are just so strange. And I like them when he's like, um, I ha- like, he's talking about how no household appliances would listen to him. It's like, that's weird. Um, it's perhaps a little too trippy for what I'm typically into, but I, I at least respect the artistic endeavor of it. I feel comfortable saying it belonged on the bonus tracks it belonged on the deluxe edition yeah because now that we've hit the end of this record other than the instrumental at the end i really don't like i love this now it's really seven songs because you have best in show which is a skit and you have the instrumental instrumental at the end which you know i'm not going to split hairs it it's a very short record which i'm okay with i would rather something uh be 36 minutes then double that yeah. so I, I'm very comfortable with this album the way it's yeah uh, next week we're doing Smashing Pumpkins <laughs> uh, strap in it's gonna be an 8 hour ride because I do have 8 hours of opinions on Billy Corgan and they will change as I go along <laughs> because I can never make up my mind on him um, one last thing about Beijing Taxi yes go ahead um, 
I like thought it was a weird song and that initially appeared to, appealed to me but what really got me was when uh, I found out that the the basis of it is the Naruto theme which I never expected a Swedish punk rock group to incorporate the Naruto theme into their music but the way that they do it is really pretty nice you don't notice it right at the beginning um and putting it on the saxophone what a choice um you don't notice it at the beginning but at the end of the track um the vocals and the other instrumentation drop out and you hear that it is in fact the naruto theme and as soon as i knew that i listened to it a hundred times they uh, yes more power to you i don't need naruto creeping into my music anytime soon but the bagger voice i like fine. the idea that they sample <laughs> <laughs> and i love the idea yes. that they sample from naruto yes if that is your thing more power to you congratulations for being a nerd and liking anime anyways we have hit the end of the album it's one i really enjoyed uh in terms of critical acclaim, it received an 8 out of 10 from Loud and Quiet, an 80 out of 100 on Metacritic, and a 7.4 out of 10 on Pitchfork. The Pitchfork review, which is a very funny one, a very good read, uh, part of uh, what I liked from it, and I quote, is, On Streetworms, Viagra Boys pull off the very feat that made mid-90s wrestling so successful. They put on a show that's as corny as it is engrossing with more treacherous commentary. The album's final lyrics, The Same Worms That Eat Me Will Someday Eat You Too, leave Murphy's lips dryly and attempt to put every self-absorbed person already mocked in their place. End quote. That's a very good way of summing it up. A lot of this uh, Pitchfork review is comparing this album to Mick Foley, who I don't know if you know who that is at all. Mick Foley was a wrestler who in the late 90s uh, started donning many characters in the same timeline, so he would be himself, and then he would be a guy named Mankind who wore a leather mask and wore a, like a sock puppet and would choke people with the sock. The sock was named Mr. Socko. Um, epic. Epic. Automatic. Uh, okay, gonna leave you hanging Still on that. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, and then he played a hippie called Dude Love, who was like, he didn't like that he was so aggressive because he was a hippie. And then he played a guy called Cactus Jack, who loved the violence and like Whoa. was all about it. Cactus Jack. Cactus Jack. So that means nothing to you. But as soon as I read the review, I was like, oh my God. No, this is right. This is, this album is Mick Foley. Uh, because it seems like the Viagra Boys are donning different versions of themselves that are all unique to their own person, but grounded in some sort of basis. And I think that's very fair. Uh, the Pitchfork review was a 7.4 out of 10. I am around that ballpark. I would give this maybe a 6.8 out of 10, simply because I need a little bit more. I need one more good song. I think if you're going to keep the skit and keep the instrumental, give me one more song at the end that just drives it home. But the seven songs that are fully realized and, and fully envisioned, I really like them all. Where do you stand on this record in terms of a ranking? Um, I picked it. So I think it's perfect and nothing about it could ever be better ever. Um, no, I'll be realistic. I'll give it probably an eight out of ten. I, I really like fair. it. Um there aren't a lot of albums, to be honest, that I'll listen to all the way through, but I really like this album. It surprises me a lot. It changes a lot. Um, and it is, um, there's a lot in that genre of music that I can't listen to. 
Um, so the albums in that genre that appeal to me appeal to me in a very uh, specific way, and I'll kind of hold on to them for a really long time. Um, and I'll definitely do that with this album and Viagra Boys as a whole. So it appeals to you in a sense. You are a very unique individual. You have your own characteristics. You are your own person. But if you're someone that is looking to get into more music and you like the sound of this, Blaine, who needs to hear the Viagra Boys right now? I always try and get comedians to listen to this album sports specifically i know i'm not going to get most people to sit through down in the basement Um, (laughs) see i disagree i would start with that over sports any day of the week okay it's a good it's a great song but just like for a tone and a genre that is so loud and aggressive um the fact that sports brings a, a nonchalant like Weird, Like, what is this? What is this element? That is the part that gets people to finish the song. Um, and that's why that's the song that I use to introduce it to people. But I think comedians should listen to it because it's a funny album. It's smart. It's satirical. Um, yeah, I would say comedians. I think that's very fair. Blaine, you yourself are a comedian in the Chicago area, so what do you have to plug and where can people find you? Uh, You can find me at the Annoyance Theater on Thursday night at 9.30 for uh, PH College Night. Um, You can also find me on Twitter at Sweeps McBroom. Case, you want to talk about how much you hate my Twitter? I don't hate your Twitter. I hate that you will come up to to people and go, hey, did you see my tweet? Yeah, I saw it. Well, you didn't like it. Yeah. I will. That's. I don't do that anymore. I definitely <laughs> did do that. Um, now I just make a point of like saying something about the fact that I tweeted. Guys, I just want to let you know, and I'm not going to say the tweet, but I tweeted. You guys should check that out. I Play don't know well. if you have notifications on yet, but but after this tweet, you're gonna you're want gonna want to yeah. put them you're on. Gonna, you might as well just do it sooner rather than later, because eventually everybody's gonna have their notifications on, and you won't, and you'll feel like an idiot. You'll feel like an idiot. So Blaine, you'll be at the Annoyance Theater every Thursday night during the college year, uh, or I guess the college school year, the calendar for College Night, which is a mix of sketch and improv. That yes. is correct. Um, and then, like he said, sweeps McBroom on Twitter as for me you can follow the podcast at art school albums on instagram you can find me on that same platform as well as twitter at underscore case low c-a-s-e-l-o-w-e you can find the podcast wherever you get your podcast from apple podcast spotify stitcher subscribe rate review on all of those platforms i would appreciate it and i also appreciate you for listening to another episode of the art school albums podcast this has been viagra boys street worms with blaine mcbroom and until next time Thank you for listening to the Art School Albums Podcast. And thank you, Case, for having me.